Hi, everyone. Welcome and thank you for tuning into The Animal Files, the podcast where we expose the truth, science, and spirituality of pet care and provide you with the wisdom and tools you need to raise happy and healthy companion animals. My name is Victoria, an animal spirituality facilitator and integrative energy practitioner. And my name is Miranda, an animal health technologist and pet care safety expert. Let's dive in, shall we? Thank you for joining us today. We are going to do something a little bit different. We are going to start a three episode series about the one thing that is on everybody's mind and has been for the last year, and that's COVID-19 and how this affects our pets and how we navigate it as animal guardians and pet owners. So we're going to get a little bit serious here, and that's okay. We're allowed. We're going to start today with just dealing with the spread and the risk and the basic protocols from the CDC. And then we're going to continue on next week with how this affects special service animals, therapy animals, emotional support animals. And then the last episode in the series is going to be how the pandemic and everything that we have encountered over the last year is affecting our animals on an emotional and a mental level. So strap in, grab a cuppa, and we will start the conversation. Miranda, you have a very special position to understand some of these risks of this virus. Mm-hmm. Can you start off the conversation, give us some of the things that you have found in your research, things that you have, you've learned and things that you believe that we need to pay attention to at this time? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that people may be wondering about the cross-contamination or the risk of spread between animals and themselves. And There might be two sides of this concern. Some people may not not feel that there's much risk at all and may not even be thinking about it. And other people might feel a lot of concern about it. What I have found out is that there is no, currently there is no evidence that animals play a significant role in spreading this virus to people and to other animals as well. So there's, there's a limited concern about the spread. It's considered to be quite low. Okay. As it stands right now, there's still very limited information about this virus and how it works, how it gets spread, what's causing it. Like There's a general understanding of it, but there's still a lot of information that is needing to be learned about it. But there have been a limited amount of animals that have been tested positive or have shown symptoms of the illness. And there's been even less known cases of a human getting the virus from an animal. However, we do have this new strain of virus that has come on board now, which we know even less about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do. It's nothing. We know nothing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we don't know how that is going to affect things. We're going to share with you some of the recommendations that have been made by the CDC, which is the Center for Disease Control, on how to reduce or prevent the 
transmission of this illness to pets and also to yourselves. Now, before we go into that, we just want to uh, just let you know that, yes, we're, there has been. So if you've seen a few things in the news, there has been some stories that have come out over the last year of this dog passing away of COVID, the tigers of the Bronx Zoo, the animals in, in China. I think there's only a couple, even though that's there and it's considered as, I think it's zoonotic virus. Yeah, zoonotic viruses are when they can transmit between species or between yeah. humans and animals. It just seems to be that at this point in time, the research is only showing that it's people giving the virus to animals and not vice versa. So just to do a caveat on what you just said, that there's very limited information is because the only stuff that we've seen is from person to animal and not the other way around outside of that one case in Wuhan, which mm -hmm. we still didn't even know exactly what happened. So you don't have to be worried about your animals spreading it around the world because there really doesn't happen. We tend to be the risk to the animal, not the other way around. Mm -hmm. And in regards to this new strain of virus, what the Center of Disease Control has found at this point is that it seems to be connected with minks. And that's more in the case of mink farms rather than wild minks. With the original strain of the virus, they said that some of the minks were not showing symptoms, but some of the minks were actually dying from the virus. So there was two levels of reactions, I guess, to the, to the original virus. And now they're saying that at some point, this virus mutated within the minks and have been spread back to humans. Wow. Okay. That's good to know. But unless you have a mink farm mm -hmm. right now, you don't have to worry <laughs> about that. So <laughs> but in case you were curious where this new strain of virus was coming from, that's what they're saying has happened. At least once. I think there's like three or four different strains out there that we know like mm -hmm. very little about. So these recommendations, as per the CDC, what exactly are they? What have they said? What have, what have you found in your research? Well, one of the things they've suggested is to treat our pets exactly as we, would, as we were to treat other human household members. Makes sense. So we don't want to let pets interact with anybody outside of the household. We've talked about the risks of letting cats roam outside. But this is one that we did not add. And there's that additional risk of cats becoming contaminated with the virus if they're roaming outside because they can come into contact with other animals that may have the virus or other humans that may have the virus. And yes, as we said, there, the risk is low, but it's still there. Yeah, definitely something to keep in mind. So keep your cats indoors, obviously. Don't let your dogs roam freely. Don't let your cats roam freely. You know, especially if they're friendly. If they're friendly, mm -hmm. they may come in contact with somebody. You have to keep them safe like you would your child. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to let your child just go up to a stranger. Well, don't let your animals roam so they can go up to a stranger. <laughs> right. And it's not that they may get sick directly themselves, but they can be a carrier because... I did read that they can carry the virus on their fur. So if somebody goes and pets them, 
they can get it on their hands and then spread it to themselves if they touch their face or, or whatever. Wow. Okay. Good to know. That's another good thing to remember too, is if you are petting your animals and they have potentially come in contact with anybody outside of your home, you want to make sure you wash your hands before you touch any part of you, especially like anywhere around your face. So you can reduce that risk of spreading it to yourself. So it's a good idea right now to keep your dogs on a leash at all times and not take them to a dog park. Now, I know this is a challenge with some dogs because some dogs have really high energy and it can be really difficult for them to burn off that energy when they're just walked on a leash. This means it involves some creativity on your part. So either trying to, if you do want to let them off leash, maybe trying to find a time where you can take them to an area where there's not likely to be other people or other dogs around. That might be one consideration. Or alternatively, if you're home a lot, which most people are these days, finding ways to interact with them in in your backyard or in your home and that to engage them both physically and mentally to help burn off that, that energy. Yeah. Or, you know, or go to the park. I mean, if you, if you can't avoid the dog park, then find a time where the dog park is not very busy or there's very few people, if any. So like say mm-hmm. eight o'clock in the morning, there's not that many dogs there. Bring your dog when the, there's less activity, less, less dogs, less people. Mm-hmm. Don't go at the height of the day when everybody's bringing their dogs to the dog park. Mm-hmm. Just another little tip. Mm -hmm. Now this recommendation, I don't even think should need to even be suggested. It's avoiding public places where a large number of people gather. But I think we know from the news and whatever else that we've read and that, that people are still gathering in large numbers, even though it's not recommended to do that. Yeah, you got to stop that, people. (laughs) soapbox moment sorry I had to do it (laughs) yeah avoid public places with large people like you that's just common sense we've been learning that over the last year hopefully you have been creating different habits in your life that keep you safe from stuff like that but yeah I mean that's just common sense at this point Mm -hmm. now I'm not sure where this suggestion came from, but there must be some people who have been trying to do this and they recommend not putting a mask on your pets, that masks could actually harm your pet. Now, I don't know, I haven't seen anything of masks that are created specifically for pets or if this is masks for humans that are being put on pets, but dogs in particular, need to be able to pant for one thing. They can't really do that if they've got a mask on their face. Mm-hmm. And certain dogs, like flat-faced dogs or flat-faced cats, they already have issues with their breathing because that's the way they've been bred. They tend to have a lot of respiratory issues and putting a mask on them is going to increase that risk, that difficulty. Oh, yeah. It's just not a good idea. It's just, it's a much better idea just to keep them away from anybody outside of your household. Yeah. Don't put masks on your pets. I mean, it's not even like normal. It makes you look silly um, because they're not made for the animal. And again, 
we have to stop humanizing our animals and putting a mask on your dog. You may think your heart's in the right place, but it's not made for them. So just do the social distancing. Stay six feet away from everything. Don't let your animals interact with with other people. If you get sick, take the necessary precautions. Don't put a mask on your cat or dog. It's just not to mention the fact that they're probably not going to like it and are going to probably try to get it off anyways. Yeah. And what if a dog eats it? I mean, then you got to deal with obstruction blockages and just don't do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's my opinion. I'm sticking with it. (laughs) Just don't do it. (laughs) So what happens if somebody in the household becomes sick with the virus? Well, we've been told that person is supposed to be isolated from everyone else, but that includes your pets as well. Yeah. I understand the mental and emotional struggle that can come from being isolated for, what is it, 10 days? I, I think it's gone down to 10 days. Yeah, it used to be two weeks, but I think yeah. now it's 10 days. And some places I think are saying it can be even less, but just stick with the 10 days because then we know for sure that that's safe. Mm -hmm. And so you might feel that, oh, well, if I can't physically interact with anybody else in my household and I'm lonely and I'm not being able to get hugs and stuff like that, maybe at least I can cuddle with my pet. Unfortunately, that is not a good option. I don't, I'm not really sure what you can do as an alternative, but just remember that you're keeping everybody else, including your pets, safe or helping to protect them by not interacting with them physically. And if you love your animals, you will make the sacrifice for them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it again. Not about you. It's about them. Done. Okay. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I can tell you just a quick little uh, thing. My husband, um, we we thought that he may have been in contact with somebody, and he had to he had to quarantine. At the time, it was two weeks, so for two weeks he had to stay in the bedroom away from everybody, including the cats. The cats had a hard time dealing with it; they didn't understand it. I think he had more of a hard time with it, but he knew that it was the best for them. And this was shortly after the, the story broke about the cats at the Bronx Zoo. So we were really on high alert, but it was, it was tough. But he knew that he was protecting his little ones. And mm-hmm. that, made, that made it possible for him to continue to quarantine without having to worry about it because it was about the cats. He did not want to get the cats sick. He didn't want to get me sick. And so he just stayed away. And when quarantine was over, man, those cats got all the loving that he could give them. But he knew that it was about the cat, not about him. Mm -hmm. So what other things can you do if, if one person, one or more people get sick in the household? Well, if you are somebody who lives by yourself, it's going to be more challenging because obviously you still have to take care of your animal. You, yeah. you can't separate, you can't isolate from them, but you can still limit your contact with them, which means you're going to have to try to avoid petting them. You're going to want to 
you know, make sure you wash your hands before feeding them or dealing with any of their, their items or possibly put gloves on as well so that you can wash or throw those gloves out after you've finished dealing with them. And it's just better to interact with them just through talking rather than any kind of physical interaction, just to minimize as much contact, physical contact as possible. But if it is possible, have another member of your household care for the pets while you're sick. Yeah. Yeah, that's what I had to do. It was all on me. I had to do everything Mm -hmm. to make sure that the cats were well taken care of while he was isolated for two weeks. Mm -hmm. Oh, I didn't mention wearing a mask as well when you're interacting with your animals. That's the other thing to do as well. Yes. And wear it properly. Right. Wear the mask properly. If you are sick with the virus and your pet also becomes sick, don't take your vet to the veterinary clinic yourself. Call your vet and let them know what the situation is. Maybe you might be able to have a friend or some, somebody you know who might be able to take the animal into the clinic for you if the vet recommends the animal come in physically to the clinic. But there is an option in some cases where some veterinarians may offer telemedicine consultations or other plans for seeing a sick animal. Yeah, there's been a lot of changes in a lot of these veterinary clinics that can definitely work to your favor. Mm -hmm. Now, if we want to try to prevent contamination, some of the things that you want to avoid doing is using certain products to try to clean your animal. There's a lot of products out there that could actually harm your animal rather than help with keeping them or you safe. There's things like chemical disinfectants, alcohol, hydrogen peroxide, hand sanitizers, counter cleaning wipes, other kinds of industrial or surface cleaners. You do not want to use any of these on your animals. However, there are some disinfectants that are safe to use for animals. So you need to talk to your veterinarian and find out what is appropriate products that you can use. I don't know if there's any, any pet-friendly cleaners that are good to use on the pets. So just remember that you think that, oh, I'll just wipe them down with sanitizer. That, no, you can't do that because sanitizer has got a lot of stuff in it that, are, that can be very toxic. And even the pet-friendly cleansers, you don't use on your animal. You can probably use those on their toys and their sleeping areas, but don't use it on your animal specifically. It's around the animal. Just want to throw that in there. Mm -hmm. And if you have any concerns at all, contact your veterinarian. They can answer and guide you on a lot of information as much as they know, because they, they're going to know more than most people in regards to how to treat and deal with your animals and the virus. Because of everything going on, you don't want to just drive your animals to the vet without an okay from your vet. You want to make sure that they've okay, agreed to an appointment 
and that you know what the protocol is, whether it's you wait in the vehicle until they come out to get the animal or whatever it is that their protocol is for their clinic, or whether or not they would just let you know if there's certain things that you can do at home. And it's not just if they get sick from the virus, it could be if they get sick from anything. There's certain things that you might be able to just do at home. And maybe there's things where they actually have to come in and get a physical exam to find out what exactly is going on. But your vet will let you know what the specific case is for your animal. And what's good to remember is there's not that many animal deaths from COVID at this moment. The virus has not really created an emergency situation like it has with humans. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the time, an animal can be treated at home safely without having the worry of death. Of course, Mm -hmm. you do want to make sure that you keep a check on their breathing, how Mm -hmm. how their energy is. The awareness is still going to be your number one tool here is just to pay attention to what's going on. I just want to reiterate how important it is to have a partnership with your veterinary team. Mm -hmm. You should already have a list of these questions set aside that if perchance this was to happen, this is what you need to do. These are the things you need to ask. This is what your veterinarian has told you to do. You have to have something set aside where you can go through your own individual protocol with your veterinary clinic if something like this was to happen. Whether Mm -hmm. you get sick, whether your animal gets sick because it was introduced to somebody who ended up being sick. There's a lot of things to think about. (laughs) But as long as you have that partnership with your vet and you use common sense and you don't humanize your animal, and you just put them before anything, you'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And now we're going to go a little bit deeper. Protocols, protocols for those animals who test positive or have shown signs of the illness. Pay attention because this is really important stuff. So the first thing that I wanna say, and then I'm gonna turn it back over to Miranda is there is absolutely no reason to abandon or surrender your pets if they have been confirmed positive for the virus. You do not have to do that. Again, just a reminder from what I said earlier, we are the bigger threat to the animals, not the other way around. So you do not need to abandon or surrender your animals. Look at them like your children. I'm going to say it over and over again. They are your responsibility. You are accountable to them and they are relying on you. So do not abandon them. Now that that's out of the way, (laughs) let's continue on some of the protocols. So what are some of the other things that we need to know? If you think that your animal has been exposed to the virus for whatever reason, there is a test available to determine whether the virus is actually in your animal. Now, most animals are either not going to show any signs of illness or the other side of that is that they'll have just mild symptoms, you know, more like we would have when we have a cold. It may not be completely obvious that they have the virus, but if for any reason you suspect that they might, you can contact your veterinarian 
the test is not available for all animals. It's just to test randomly like we are with humans. They only want to use it for animals that have the symptoms or have been exposed to a person with the virus. Yes. So just like we do with humans, you're going to have to trace and track where your animal has been. You're going to have to figure out the pathway of how my animal got these symptoms. So it might take you a little bit of work, but you're going to have to do that. I know when the tigers and the lions got sick at the Bronx Zoo from someone, from one of their handlers, they at first only tested one tiger because they have to be put under anesthesia. We've mentioned in other episodes that anesthesia is pretty risky for anybody, especially your animals. So it's not something that they're going to just go randomly out and just start to test all these animals. There is a possible fecal test that they used at the zoos. I do not know if that's widely available yet. And that would be non-invasive. But it's not something you can just go ask, oh, can you test my animal for COVID? It, that's not going to happen. Mm-hmm. And if you, if you do see any signs of illness that suggest that it could possibly be the virus or that you believe that your animal has been exposed to somebody with the virus, this is, again, where you want to monitor them. You want to pay attention to what is going on with them. Are they having any respiratory type symptoms, coughing, sneezing, discharge of some sort? How are they eating? How much are they drinking? What are their stools like? What is their energy like? These are all things that you want to to be aware of, especially if you aren't able to take your animal to the vet and you're just talking to your vet through telemedicine or video, whatever the case may be. This is all very good information to be able to give your vet. The more information your vet has, the better they can make a suggestion on how to treat your animal. Yes, exactly. They need to know everything. So keep track of it. Mm -hmm. And try not to just keep it in your head. It's a really good idea to have a journal and just write what you notice about those different things. Or even a spreadsheet, if you're a spreadsheet kind of a person. You know, you can have these categories for their food, their energy, their stool, their respiratory and stuff like that. And just kind of make a note of, okay, how is it? How is it today? You know, because then that way you can look at a glance to see if there's been any change. Yeah. And you can do something like a a one through five, say, if you're checking the stool, one being diarrhea, five being normal, Mm -hmm. giving yourself a range where you can tell your vet. I love that idea of keeping a journal, an illness journal for your animal. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. I think your veterinarian will be so happy with you. And so grateful to you if you were able to do that, because they ask all of those questions every single time. And if you have all that list down, you're going to be in a good place and your vet will be able to help you with your situation pretty easily. And that goes with any kind of potential illness your animal might be dealing with, not just the virus. Exactly. Yeah. I love, I love that idea. I really do. I think that's a great, great, great idea. So if your pets don't show any signs of illness, 
but you still think that they may have been exposed, you want to maintain contact with your vet. That doesn't mean bombard them. (laughs) Even if it's just a phone call and leaving a message saying, you know, this is the update with my animal. So you know where things are at. And again, if anything changes and you do start to see signs, you want to contact your vet beforehand and not just take them to the clinic without any warning. Yeah, because most of these veterinary clinics, they do not have the same methods that they used to pre-pandemic. They are very, very schedule-oriented, appointment-oriented, more so than normal. And Mm -hmm. they need to, especially if it has to do with this particular virus, they have to set up and safely be able to treat your animal so that animal doesn't affect other people or possibly other animals. So Mm -hmm. you want to have that, that contact, let them know, look, this is an emergency. I need to bring it in. Don't just pop your animal in the car and go because you're going to be putting other people and other animals at risk. Mm -hmm. Or even if you're sitting in the vehicle waiting to have your animal seen, it's going to be even be more stressful for your animal to have to sit in that vehicle for whatever period of time that might take as opposed to staying at home and waiting to be given the go ahead that yes, you can bring your animal in now. Yeah, it's it's better to keep them as comfortable as possible for as long as possible. If your animal has been exposed, and the test has shown positive that your animal's been exposed, or there's symptoms involved, there are a few different areas. Well, there's a lot of different areas that you want to avoid bringing your animal to. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, if your animal's not feeling well, I think it's kind of common sense to, to leave them at home because they're not going to feel like going anywhere anyways. But if they're not showing symptoms, but they've tested positive, then you're putting other people and other animals at risk by bringing them to these other areas. Some of these are kind of make sense. Like why would you bring them to these places anyways, like the human healthcare facilities or schools, but that one will actually kind of touch on in our next episode, Mm -hmm. taking them to parks, open markets, or any kind of gatherings, whether indoor or outdoor. Now groomers, that's kind of a little more of a challenge because some animals can get matted if they don't get groomed regularly. Now this is where Again, you might have to take more responsibility and do more work at home. Brush them every single day. Create kind of a routine with it. Try to make it like a bonding experience with them so that it's not traumatizing. You may or may not need to bathe them, depending. If they're, if they're not getting all that dirty from being outside, then they shouldn't need to really be bathed too much. It's the brushing that is kind of the more, like for the longer hair dogs, it's the brushing that needs to be taken care of. Mm-hmm. Now, I know groomers also sometimes will deal with nails and anal glands. And if you've not had any training on how to do that, that might be more of a challenge to do at home. You might want to talk to your vet about that particular situation and, and see what they suggest for that. At this time, you, you don't want to take your animals to any daycares or boarding facilities. No, 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 no. You don't know. Again, you don't, you need to protect other people and other animals. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Stay away. Now, for the most part, I don't think there should be a need for any traveling 
at this point. But if for some reason there is an absolute need for traveling, maybe look at having a recommended pet sitter to come in. Some pet sitters also know how to do nail trims and anal glands as well. So they may also be able to help with that aspect. But you need to make sure that there is a set protocol with anybody like that who comes into your home. Because again, there's that exposure. You don't necessarily know who they've been exposed to. They may have been into a lot of other people's homes prior to them coming to your home and vice versa. Yeah. And I just want to throw another caveat in. I'm like the queen of caveats today. I don't know. But anyway, um, another caveat is if you do have an animal that is tested positive, you're going to have to do the same exact thing that we humans have to do when we are exposed and we test positive. You're going to have to reach out to every place, every human, everywhere that animal was. And you need to tell people, let's say your animal goes to a daycare center because you're one of those unlucky ones that has to still go into the office every day. You need to let that daycare center know the owner, the, and, and they, and they may take and track everything, but you have to let everyone know who came in contact with your animal that they have tested positive so they can protect themselves as well and get tested if possible, if necessary. Mm -hmm. So that's a a little caveat, you know, these track, this tracking and tracing, I know that tends to be controversial for a lot of people, but that is how you protect others. Mm -hmm. And that's how you stay in that compassionate transparency, you know, mindset, I guess, for lack of a better word. You just, you just need to be able to, because it, again, it's not about you. It's about the animal. It's about everyone else, especially when it comes to this virus. Our goal as human beings is to, is to be responsible and accountable. So you're mm-hmm. going to have to track and trace everywhere your dog went and let them know that your dog or your cat tested positive. Mm-hmm. And if for some reason you do need to, or if you have been bringing your your animal to a daycare or something like that because you are working and you haven't wanted to leave them alone all day long. Be prepared that if you do let them know that your animal has tested positive, be prepared that they may refuse to take you in because they may not have the setup to keep it ice keep your animal isolated from every, anybody else's animals that might be there. Oh yeah, I mean if your animal tests positive and you're still expecting to go to a daycare you're missing the point (laughs) that I'm going to get a little on soapbox again, me and my soapboxes, but you have to take responsibility for yourself and your animal. You can't just assume, Oh, my dog's sick. Well, I'm just going to go and make other dogs sick, or I'm going to make other people sick. You can't do that. So if your animal tests positive, your life may change for a little bit. Mm -hmm. That's okay. That's okay. I'm getting off him. (laughs) (laughs) And if your animal has tested positive or showing signs of illness, they should be isolated in the same way that humans should. Um, Again, it's more challenging if you are the only caregiver for your animal. But if there is other people in the household, then try to set a room aside that is just for that animal that nobody else can go into except for that the person who is caring for for that animal. You know, it's still going to be basically the the 10 days isolation 
and you you need to limit the exposure with them. So again, that means no cuddling, no petting, no letting them kiss you, you know, lick you, whatever, <laughs> yeah. uh, on the face and hands, and um, you know, limited contact with any of their items that they have in the room, toys, bowls, carriers, whatever might be in there. And every time that you bring something out of the room, you want to disinfect it or, well, just clean it really well. Like soap and water is been shown to be effective enough for, for the virus. So you can just clean it with soap and water and make sure you are washing your hands, wearing a mask, wearing gloves, and changing your clothes afterward as well is a good idea. And again, I know the risk of an animal passing it to a human is relatively low, but you still want to be, you still want to be protected. You still want to be safe Mm -hmm. because we don't know this virus has been mutating and there's very strange now, and we don't know what the next one's going to do. So it's always best to be, to err on the side of caution. Mm -hmm. Now being isolated like this can have some effect on an animal's mental and emotional well-being. Do you have some information about that, that you'd like to share? Um, Yes. And we're going to get a little bit more of this in the third episode of the series. But the one thing that I have found to be extremely helpful, we're going to go into my work now. You need to have a conversation with the animal. And I'm not just talking about, oh, you're so cute. I'm going to miss you. Not that type of stuff. Like real conversations. Let them know whether you feel silly or not. It doesn't matter. Let them know that this needs to happen and that you need to protect them. We need to protect ourselves. They may not understand the words that you say. They may understand a word here or there, but they will understand your energy. So when you speak to them and have a conversation with them, almost like person-to-person conversation, they will understand your energy. They may be a little unsure. But the energy is going to translate to the animal and the animal will be able to understand things a little bit easier. And even though they may not be happy with it, they are part of that conversation. If that makes any sense. I know it sounds weird to talk to your animal. (laughs) I do it every day, all the time. Having a heart to heart conversation with your animal, soul to soul can help alleviate a little bit of that stress that the animal is going to have because of the uncertainty and the unsuredness, if that's a word, of the situation. That is what I have learned. It's what I've done with myself in my family is to have a soul-to-soul conversation with your animal and to help them alleviate the stress of whatever is going on at the time. As we go on with this show, We're going to start to dip a little bit here and there into the spirituality side of animals. And this is part of it. So if you can start learning how to communicate with your animal on a heart to heart, soul to soul level, you're going to create a connection with your animals that's going to help the relationship thrive and allow both of you to navigate any situation that you come in contact with more effectively efficiently and with compassion and empathy. So that's what I think is 
essential, especially in situations where the animal doesn't know what's going on. Mm -hmm. I think animals understand way more than we give them credit for. Oh, yeah, they do. I think some people believe that as long as we are meeting the animal's physical needs, you know, basically giving them food, water, shelter, and a bit of attention, that that is all that they actually need. It goes beyond that. In order for them to thrive, they definitely need a lot more than that. So it's, it's up to us to try to understand them and help them to understand us as well. Yeah, it's a, it's a very complicated relationship, but it actually can be a very connected relationship mm-hmm. to allow it to be. So we're just going to go over a few more points. A couple of them are we've already mentioned, but we'll just say them again of things to do if your animal has been exposed to the illness. You want to avoid taking your dogs for any walks except for a quick bathroom break. If you have a backyard, just take them in the backyard. Don't allow anyone else to have contact with with them inside your home or outside your home. Again, avoid letting your cats roam outside. They again need to be isolated in a room. And yes, if they're used to being outside, they might start yowling and complaining and letting you know that they're not happy with being kept inside. Oh, yeah, they will. (laughs) They're like three-year-olds. They're like three-year-olds and they may stomp their little paws and not be very happy with it. But that's where the conversations come in. Right. And reminding yourself that you're doing it to protect them as well as others. Yes. Any garbage that has been associated with your pet, you want to put in a sealed bag and throw into an outside bin right away so that nobody else can come into contact with it. Again, we said wear your gloves and wash hands right after taking care of your pet and change your clothes too. Or if you have some kind of coveralls or something that you can use when you're inside the room, you can maybe consider that option as well that you put over top of your other clothes. If you have other animals in the house, keep separate bedding bowls, treats, toys, anything else for your sick pet so that they are not being shared with any of the other animals. Even if you're disinfecting it, washing it with soap and water, just to stay safe, just keep that all separated. Good point. I like that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Keep them separate. There are other disinfectants that can be safely used to be disinfected. But again, soap and water is basically going to be effective for killing the virus on anything. So as long as, as long as it can either be thrown in the wash or washed in the sink with soap and water or in the bathtub with soap and water, then you should be good. You don't have to wash any of the towels or the bedding items in a separate load from your laundry. The soap will kill the virus, so it's not going to contaminate anybody else's clothes once it's gone through the wash. I would add that maybe using a higher temperature in the water might also help. Right. Yeah, because if you have a tendency to use cold water for washing, then that's probably not going to be effective. The virus doesn't like heat, so you do want to add some heat when you're washing any of the items that you're washing. And as we mentioned before, just keep track of your pet's symptoms while they're in isolation. If you can use a journal of some sort or whatever, this will help you to 
really recognize if any of the symptoms or get worse or if any new symptoms start to develop. Honestly, out of this entire show, I think having a illness journal is probably going to be your best bet and creating a partnership with your vet. You don't want to just randomly do things. You want to have conversations with your veterinary clinic. You want to make sure that everybody is involved and is safe. And I want to, again, I've said it a couple of times now, is we as humans pose a higher risk to our animals. There isn't much research to show that our animals transfer it back to humans. So you do not have to be scared of your animal. You do not have to abandon or surrender your animal. You just have to be aware, keep track, have conversations both with the vet or the people that the animal came in contact with, with the animal itself. And you should be pretty good for the most part. Mm -hmm. Everything is different. Everybody has an individual experience. We're not saying that one thing is going to blanket define everything, but those things, conversations, journaling, and awareness, I think are the three takeaways from this show. Mm -hmm. So our next show next week, we're going to go a little bit deeper into animals that have roles and jobs like surface animals, emotional support animals, therapy animals, and the different protocols and things to be aware of when it comes to them, because their lives are different from your everyday in-home animal. So we're going to go into that next week. Be sure to join us and we'll just continue talking about this because I think a lot of people have a lot of these questions on their mind. Mm -hmm. And we're here to give you the truth and the science of it all. Mm -hmm. Even if you didn't have any conscious thoughts about this prior to this episode, it may have brought some things to your mind that'd be like, oh yeah, you know, I kind of was wondering about that, but you know, you didn't maybe think about it too much. So we hope that this has addressed a lot of the concerns that you may have had and that you'll be able to keep you and your animals safer going forward. Yes, that's all we want. Safe, safe, safe animals, healthy animals, thriving animals. So thank you for sticking with us today and listening to all that we have to share. And we'll see you back here next week. Have a fantastic week and we'll talk to you next time. Have a good day, bye. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to rate, review, and recommend the show on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want some more great info, be sure to check out www.theanimalfilespodcast.com.